apparently a Brexit deal has been reached that pleases everybody, which is astonishing. Well, it pleases everyone in the conservative cabinet. Uh, so that means it's going to be bad. <laughs> oh, of course. It's completely bad, completely impossible, and utterly unacceptable to the European Union. <laughs> so I haven't been paying attention much to the news. All I heard was about David Davis acting as if he was Snake from Metal Gear Solid. <laughs> um, saying something about how he was going to like break people. Then Nadine Dorries. Yeah, Nadine Dorries. Like somehow jumped in and was just for- like, <laughs> David Davies used to be in the SAS, so he'll kill everyone. He'll just go postal. <laughs> In like Port Colors house, I, I I think that's how it went down. No, it's uh, it's it's here's the the I I, I don't even need to look at the actual tweet because I remember it. It's um uh, David Davis is former SAS, so he knows how to get things done and is also good at taking people out. Tweet. We don't have that's the great point. Veteran goes beast mode in negotiations, <laughs> has a flashback, and immediately sprays it into the room with a PDW. <laughs> No, my favorite part about the Brexit negotiations is that so far we've had like Theresa May just using words. I'm very excited for David Davis to fast rope in and cut Michelle Barnier's throat. <laughs> Have you seen those like stu- those stupid tweets that are like, wow, Fortnite has ruined my life. Every time I see a pallet of wood, I think about, oh, I could get 60 resources from that. You know, like that stupid stuff. Yeah, Brexit's like that, but with like, fishery rights well i I I was laughing about if you uh you fucked up that tweet and you're like wow fortnite's ruined my life every time i see a room full of people i want to shoot them with my gun (laughs) and that's davies going into the negotiations just fucking mowing them down with a ump 45 caliber he's like damn i've played too much fortnite also i'm former sas anyway we got the right Brexit deal you're welcome peace (laughs) david davis is a gamer yeah, D- David Davis is playing the playing the ultimate game. And the thing is, what I the reason I know it's fictional is that Nadine Dorries is clearly attracted to him. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. All right, I gotta look up a picture of this guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm well, so excited that you've never seen David Davis. While you're at it, look up Michael Gove because this, the UK has finally. Oh, I know, I know what Michael Gove looks like. Yeah. What do you think my my phone background is? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's proof uh, of David the- David Davis. He looks like uh, it looks like they they were making a TV movie about Newt Gingrich, and they're like, okay, we have to get an actor who isn't as ugly as the real guy. So it's, like, come it's, on, it's it's like but it's, it's still like has a Gingrichy look. It's it's like in the Simpsons where they make the video the the made for TV movie of Homer grabbing that girl's butt, and they're like, <laughs> yeah, oh. yeah, yeah, yeah. That we, we they said they changed it just enough so that we don't have to pay you. Hello again, and welcome to. And I'm going to get it right this time. I'm going to get it right. Watch me. Welcome to Trash Future, the podcast about how the future, if we do not implement fully automated luxury gay space communism, the future is and will be trash. I fucking nailed it. You I did. fucking nailed it. My name is Riley. You can find me on Twitter at Rala. It's still a bad name. Uh, who do I got uh, from, from my right, given that the computer is on my left? You have Nate, the producer, who's filling in for Milo, who's finally been captured by the FSB and maybe will be returned to us in pieces. Maybe not. We'll find out. Uh, it's Hussein. I uh, I haven't eaten like all this Ramadan still. I can't bust. It's making me angry. Um, I'm just tired all the time. So I might just like come in every so often into this conversation 
and just like talk about various soup recipes I'm thinking about. But that's as far as my, my discourse will go today. We need a hype man. Yeah, your sense of humor has gotten real weird so I tell you what Ramadan. happened today when I came to Bethnal Green. So I don't know if Felix knows about Bethnal Green and the famous no-go zones. Oh yeah. No-go Sharia zones. The, you, you've heard of this, right? How like little bits of London are considered to be unenterable by white people. Yeah, yeah, no, I know, I, I know. I mean, it's like we have the knockout game over here, but then we elected <laughs> Trump and we don't have it anymore. But you elected, you know, sort of a Marco Rubio, Jeb Bush amalgam and Theresa May. So you just got more no-go zones. Yeah, oh, more. So we have like the Islamic police outside of Bethnal Green train station. And as we've spoken about in previous episode, they always demand streetwear. To right. enter, right? Because the cool that's, Islamic police. Because that's what Jizya is now. It's not money. It's not Bitcoin crash. So that's it's, it's hype. It's, it's now hype. just hype. Yeah. So they were like, you know, give me your streetwear. And the only things that I had on were a pair of like ASIC running shoes. So I yeah, gave them hype. my. And they were like, no, we don't. No, this isn't hype beast. This is like dad shit. <laughs> um, and then they just made fun of me and called me a chud until I came to the studio. Exactly. So, and here you are, loopy and hungry and starving so and all thirsty. I'm, all I'm going to say is Raheem Kassam was right. Yep. And now, I am to- now I'm a Tory. <laughs> and coming at us from Brooklyn. Uh, I'm Felix Biederman. You may know me as the owner of Racism Dog Account. Uh, the <laughs> other Racism Dog Account that barks at tweets that aren't racist enough. <laughs> I'm also the author of the book, uh, In Kafifi We Trust, Starking Our Way Through the Far, li- far Right and Far Left. If, if, I, I, I've heard, like, if only we could put aside our differences, then we could actually, like, maybe listen to one another and the conversation would be healed. I'm big into dialogues. I'm big into conversations. I'm big into just uh, raising awareness of the concept of positivity. I, I'm so excited. I don't think this has happened yet. I'm very excited for the first like Hollywood screenwriter to come out and be like, hey, guys, I know dialogue. And let me tell you, our national dialogue is broken. Have you seen Crash? We need another one of those. But a little more racism healing involved because (laughs) we need to get over it somehow. We need need Crash where they say the N-word more. What we need is like a version of Crash mixed with Aaron Sorkin's The Newsroom. I feel that's going to be like, yeah, that's going to be like the 2018 defining. So we we have Felix on today. Uh, we're going to take it transatlantic. We're going to figure we're going to talk about some of the crazy shit that Britain produces and some of the crazy shit that um, some of the crazy shit America thinks about Britain um, because we're a country that still matters. Basically, In a I relative think. sense. And yeah, we still we still, you know, we're, we matter to some people. I think like mostly the conservative cabinet members people trying to buy passports among other things um so before we get into like you know news like from that aaron sorkin show the newsroom um i wanted to start on on british reality television (laughs) um did all of our audience our half british half american audience know that the tv show love island which can best be described as a reality dating show. I'm still not really sure how it works. I have it's watched quite really, a bit of it. It's, it's really like the American show. Ninja of dating in the sense that it's a reality show and it is real life, but inexplicable things like suitcases full of money just emerging happen. And you're sort of like, the next step is finding love by jumping through pits of spikes, but they haven't quite gotten there yet. I, I, I cannot wait for a platforming dating game. Um. <clears throat> No, Love Island is a show that's somehow a dating contest. It's back on the airwaves in Britain, and everyone's gone crazy for it. Um, 
Uh, Felix, you watched a couple of clips of this. What was your initial impression? I did, and I think it, like, you know, I'm just going to preface this for all my, like, Britain versus America stuff. When I was, like, uh, yeah, 15 or 16, I watched the movie Layer Cake. Before that, I loved movies like Snatch, Lockstock, and I generally got this view of uh, the UK as this very sexy place <laughs> where, where, you know, the pe- the people have sort of like bird-like facial features like Daniel Craig and Sienna Miller, and they're always very snappy, and I don't always really understand what they're saying, but it's very cool. They're very serious, but have a wry sense of humor. They always do the cool thing. They always figure something out. And then as I got older, I saw that it's just like a soul, like just it's the same as America, but just, you know, slightly off more so than us <laughs> in different ways. And this has not become more clear to me than watching Love Island because I enjoy a lot of American reality TV shows. You know, everyone likes Jersey Shore. Everyone liked uh, all the Real Housewives shows are great. Yeah. But my favorite one is Vanderpump Rules because it's, you know, if you're going to explain to America to anyone, you can't, it can't be one of those like weepy guys with three names who does tweet storms uh, and is like, this is the dark soul the American did. No, it's Vanderpump Rules. It's a bunch of like suburban people who are pointlessly cruel, always look worse every episode and are completely moronic, but always engage in hopelessly complex schemes against each other. That's how you understand Trump's America. And it's a great show. All these shows in America are enjoyable for Americans because we either consciously or subconsciously understand the taxonomies of types of dumb people we have here. You know, you have the pissed guy, you have the horny guy, you have, <laughs> you know, the the girl who says ultimatum a lot. Uh, <laughs> Whereas with Love Island, I am I feel like I know more about the UK than I ever have in my life, but I don't understand your types of dumb people yet. So when I watched the show, there were little strokes of other reality shows I got like it was a lot of just blindingly bright colors, completely fluorescent, really weird, close cuts. But I didn't quite like, okay, so I watched uh, the clip where the girls have to take um, a suitcase and they have to like, there's a secret about one of the guys across from them and they have to guess which guy it is by kissing them, which is like already that's like something you would do on like a reality show that like Borat would watch, (laughs) but it's. I was enjoying it because I could tell these were all very stupid people, but I like couldn't quite figure out their archetypes, their British archetypes. So I'm hoping that once I publish my my uh, dissertation, uh, the study of the pissed man, the pissed man in the Great Lakes region, 2002 to 2005, <laughs> I could get that MacArthur Genius Grant and go overseas and study types of idiots of the UK. I mean, like one of the key elements of the of the of the UK idiot, I think, is that you. I think the the, the key American idiot is the pissed guy. I think the key British idiot is the um, legend. I don't. Do you do you get the yeah, sense of the legend? Okay, yeah. Now I'm getting it. Yeah. yeah, it's the guy who's like, well, you know that famous picture. It's sort of like pre pre postmodern internet, but it's like the 
it's this guy just laying down in his kitchen with his two friends and they're like, we dared Ali to <laughs> to lay down. He did it. Absolute legend. <laughs> yeah, to, and, this, that but is just the, that but more escalating. That's the, acting like a mad cunt, as they say. <laughs> oh, fuck. Trump's going to have us canceled. Uh, no, that's the archetypical like that's the archetypical Love Island contestant is the incredible legend or uh, a, a girl I could only describe as babes uh, referred yeah, to by everyone she yeah. knows as babes. And it was it's very 1970s, right? Because it's like part of being an absolute legend is that you like you have a lot of threesomes. <laughs> you you spend a thousand pounds on a first date for no yeah, reason. You fuck on the plane on the way to Ibiza. Oh, yeah. No, that's a huge thing. British people are always getting thrown off of planes for like getting inappropriately drunk and then having sex in the open. Like It's, it's a always hu- on a flight to the Balearic Islands. Yeah, too. That's, it can't be anywhere else. That's, that's British culture. Um, no, so the, this is the, this this is the essence of of Love Island is that it's an anthropological exploration of like the of the the British dumb person in the wild. It, it's it's our dumb guy show. It's also it's also one where it's all because at least in this series anyway, like some of them like they have you know quintessentially middle class jobs. They you know have gone to like university, well university education stuff. It's not like it's it's sort of and I I I the interesting part about Love Island is sort of like the classist element towards well, it, right? I think it proves that dumb guy is a situational uh, phenomenon in some cases. I think I, I I sort of think it's more than that. I think because like there's this kind of weird introspective like form of just caricaturistic ma- masculinity that I think like really enshrines the show, right? It's kind of like you've got this island that is like pristine and in the intro, at least in like the seasons that the, the episodes that I watched today, like they kind of make it very clear in the open that, you know, we've got this very pristine island and it's perfect and everything is blissful and you're given anything you want and you can just live in a bathing suit and mm-hmm. your job is literally just to kind of even like do dumb challenges and when you're not doing dumb challenges to just go into various hot tubs and <laughs> just like sit there. Right. It's like this weird, I don't know. It's, I've been trying to like think of like a really smart, like, Oh, how can I like somehow reference Wittgenstein? No, or you, if you want to reference, if you want to reference anyone on this, it's Marcuse, yeah. but we're not doing that. Are we not? Are we, are we not pretentious <laughs> no, enough to do Here's it? The problem is like every nerve in my body is crying out for me to start like referencing Eros and civilization or the one dimensional man. I just want a Frankfurt school so bad, <laughs> but we're not going to because, well, because because I feel like it's appreciated. There's like the superficial, there's people who appreciate it. Cause like it's a fun show where fun things happen and sexy people get in hot tubs. And then there's also a lot of people who hate watch it or like mockingly hate watch it. Well, here's the, here's, this is the actually kind of gets to one of the points I wanted to, wanted to make, which is that British reality television is so distinct from American reality television in a few key ways but the most is that the stakes are incredibly low. Like Love Island, like it's the most popular by scores and the prize is 50,000 pounds. And then you win the ability to make like nightclub appearances for 2000 pounds until you stop being hot. And then maybe you get 200 pounds to get to like worse and worse and worse towns. Then you can rap about how England is your city, but eventually it does come to an end. So Britain, Britain's celebrity culture, because celebrity is just, I think this is also unlike the States or it's been, it's the States hasn't been like this for as long as Britain. Celebrity is just a job and it's a job you can get just by being on a show like this. But there are so many other reality dating shows that are even lower stakes. Like there's the, my favorite one is um, 
My favorite one is, is called Dinner Date. Uh, Felix, I have not previewed this to you at all because I, I don't know if it's, I don't know, I mean, I don't know what it's going to do to your head. But imagine there's a show that's an hour long format where six people who are all from the same town publicly humiliate themselves because five have to prepare a menu that they cook at their house, just random people, for another random person from their town. And the prize is, as the, the guest, the dinner guest, goes to each house, he narrows it down, or she if it's the other way. And then the prize is, the person who cooks the best dinner wins a date with just a person from their town who they've not been matched with in any way. But the public humiliation is insane and relentless. Because many of them suck at cooking. And that is not hidden whatsoever by the producers. So you effectively have a show where like people burn the dessert and they fuck up the main course. Or like they're just weird and like not having personalities. Their apartments look like, you know, a dead body was dissolved on the floor. And like it, none of it's hidden. It's just right out there in the open. Oh, I and I just can't imagine an analog of that in America. I mean, then again, I, I also Maybe there's a weirder version, but somehow in America, I'm sure it would involve like surviving by your SAS skills in the yeah, wild. It's because it you wouldn't know, be so domestic. It's because it's in American reality shows, they're trying to reward you doing well at something, whereas British reality shows are just there as like a kind of stocks. Where you you're dumb enough to fuck up on camera, deal with it. Uh, well, that, that, I think that strikes at the core of the difference between types of American and British dumb guys or dumb people in general, right? Because the British dumb guy archetype, the most popular American dumb guy archetype is pissed guy, but the most popular British one is legend. And this betrays a significant cultural difference in that the dumb guy in Britain can achieve a sort of immortal, uh, elevated status through deeds, through having like through their character showing through their actions, like this guy may be shit, like really shitty to talk to because he just doesn't know anything. And he just sort of stares at you blankly. But the, the, the adventures he's gone on, like when he, you know, got really drunk and pissed in a Heineken bottle and served it to some rich tosser, or he, you know, he shagged on an airplane. It's like, it shows that he is more than the guy who just stares at you while you talk to him. Whereas the American Americans love nothing more than to posture and do absolutely nothing. That's, you know, our biggest thing for our reactionaries now is QAnon. It's the hunt for a non-existence, non-existence pedophilia ring. So you can actually never do anything, never risk anything, never fight against any actual real injustice. But in your mind, you've been hunting pedophiles for the last two years. So you're like heroic. You're Matthew McConaughey and True Detective. And what makes the American piss guy such a special dumb guy is that America does not have a fighting culture. We very rarely get into physical fights with each other. But because this man has spent so much time talking about, oh, you, oh when I'm pissed, watch out. I could win at the UFC if they would let me get drunk and pissed beforehand. No one gets pissed like me. His entire legend are just things that are complete hypotheticals. Uh, so on a reality show, because the, you know, this play, like this is a lot of Americans, a lot of American dumb guys just sort of subsist on assumptions you would make out of them. It's a confidence game. So when it gets to our reality TV, uh, 
everything has to look beautiful. Everything kind of has to work the right way unless it specifically figures into the plot because anything else would distract from the hypothetical and the character, the solely verbal character building of our stars. Whereas, and also we have to be told what to think. You know, a big thing, I love the Gordon Ramsay show where he goes into people's restaurants and he's like, nice chicken, you piece of shit. (laughs) But I always notice that on the American version, there are like jump cuts and they make it more dramatic than it's supposed to be. Like there's this one I love where he goes to this shitty restaurant on Long Island and within an hour of meeting Gordon Ramsay, the shithead who owns the restaurant is like, I wish I never met you. Like he's just so dramatic. But on the British one, like Gordon Ramsay is going up to these people and being like, everything about you is a lie. You suck at this. You're holding back everyone in your life. By the way, you should make this a gastropub. And they're like, oh, I feel a bit chuffed. This isn't my best afternoon, but we're going to keep going. There's no music to tell you what to feel. There's no jump cuts. And I think it's like, Not that this makes British reality TV any more noble, but it's like, okay, let's show you in actions. (laughs) Well, yeah, it's like the pissed guy is always living in the hypothetical, whereas the the British absolute legend literally whips it out in Nando's. And everyone's like, yeah, that's the guy. He (laughs) did the act. He is. He made it happen. And and yes, it's this is why I think Britain actually had an empire is it was just a country of fucking legends. (laughs) They were daring one another. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, I mean, one one thing I do I do want to kind Whipping of your dick out is colonialism. I mean, it, it depends where. Um, I would say, <laughs> and only if you leave a railroad. Oh. <laughs> Yo, I bu- I busted like eight rail ropes. <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> Yo, um, so the thing I think well, the, the one point Hussein brought up earlier I want to come back to is the class one though because legends are legend is not a is it's not a legends class are not phenomenon. Born, they're made. It's because like it's because the thing is. There is this every year with Love Island, basically, someone always brings out the same statistic that more people applied this year to Love Island than to the universities of Oxford and Cambridge combined, which is always considered to be a complete fucking travesty. One guy who's the uh, BBC One breakfast presenter. More people look at selfies every day than the painting of Mona Lisa that we all love. Damn. (laughs) One one guy, the, the Dan Walker, the BBC One breakfast presenter, actually said, I've just read, read, like reads, uh, that more people applied for Love Island this year than Oxford and Cambridge. What is happening to us? Crying emoji. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't it like even restrictive of how, how many people get to apply in the first place? Like, yes. Aren't you like strongly discouraged from applying? Yes. If you don't have like all these insane criteria to begin yes. with. Yes. No, like, it's like, so, wow, who would have thought that fewer people would apply to a thing that's insanely restricted versus people who can apply? Anyone can apply if they're over 18 and be like, yeah, wear a bathing suit and be around babes all day and get hammered. Like, yeah, what can't do that in St. Peter's College. Well, okay, no, you, okay, you can, but the thing <laughs> but everybody's gonna be quoting Marcusa at you at the entire time. Okay, I mean, fine. The thing is, the thing about Oxford and Cambridge is that they're awful places where, like, you have to produce, like, the whole, all the teaching is one-on-one and you have to produce essays like multiple times a week for world-leading professors in your subject who are also all drunk and not paying attention. And they're but, collecting opposition research but, on you. But you also, that was at Stanford, you also have to um, trick them into, into thinking that you know what you're talking about multiple times a week. And like, there are situations where people at like Oxford have gone so crazy that they like, stab their boyfriend with a bread knife but then like their sentence gets commuted because they're too posh <laughs> again literally this did happen 
Well, that's wings. like that's the perfect we live in a society tweet, though, right? Because it's like the the dumb thing is more popular than the smart thing, <laughs> and you don't look at like any of the factors why from like class factors or economic factors all the way to like yeah, this one thing is more popular. Yeah. It's just like there are so many there are so many tweets of that genre or just thoughts that are like. Uh oh, uh the average person takes 40 selfies a day. How many when was the last time they painted a picture? It's like I don't know, maybe they're not classically trained artists. Yeah. More or like more people read nutrition facts than books. Like wh- wh- okay. <laughs> yeah. Like it's just it's just making no point except for the generalized point that has existed since the dawn of observational comedy which is Current time bad. Previous time was smarter. Uh, everyone's warming themselves around fire. Have we all forgotten the sun? All I'm uh. saying is that true thoughts they paint their nudes <laughs> before they send it to before before they send it to their girlfriend's best friend. Ah, uh, anyway, um, our 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 lives were so simple. We used to go to school to learn cursive. Now we curse at our schools because of school shootings. Damn, we live in a society. This sounds like a fucking Ben Garrison cartoon. Oh, uh, no, it had well, way I mean, more it's labels. It's all on a spectrum between like Banksy and Ben Garrison, but it really is the <laughs> yeah, same yeah, thing. Yeah. Banksy liberal Ben Garrison. Yes, and, and, and more, more or less just as obvious, even if it doesn't have word on every single thing he ever draws. I mean, Banksy might as well have some words in every single thing he ever draws. Like, he did that 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 thing of two police office two male police officers kissing. Like, wow, what if cops were gay? Have you ever thought of that? <laughs> <laughs> have you ever have you ever considered that maybe cops are also gay? Wow, I sure did. I sure made you question your prejudices. <laughs> well, also when it, when it turned out that Banksy may be the guy from Massive Attack, it all made so much fucking sense to well, me. Like, it always reminds me of the time when he was like, "I'm going to go paint the border fence," but like not border, sorry, it's a forty, the the fence between Israel and Gaza. Um, I'm gonna go paint it so it looks so it looks nice, and I can turn something oppressive into something beautiful. And everyone in Gaza was like, "Fuck you! Go back to Bristol, bitch! Stop! <laughs> this is literally the worst thing you could do. Why are you making this thing nice?" It's like David Blaine when David Blaine was trying to do his magic trick in London, and everyone just like took the piss out of him and like was flo- like flying like um, vials of piss, literally vials of piss. Wait, like what? I his. didn't know about this. He was living in a cage, wasn't he? Like he was, he was living in a cage above the Thames, right? Because you know who did that? Legends. Yeah, he was a legend. He was a legend. Like, and he, like, he like, didn't eat for like 40 days or something like that. Yeah. Didn't he? It was like, and, he was, and no one gave a shit. They were just like, what the fuck are you doing, mate? Like, you know, you're having a laugh. <laughs> you're taking the piss. But maybe that one person did walk by like, wow, we really do live in a society. That was it. <laughs> and yeah. that, my friend, that, is ha- well, that was, that's actually Banksy's origin story. <laughs> I just look at it too, that it's, it's a different kind of dad tweet. It's like, the proto dad tweet or the proto dad joke in the sense that like they aren't yet complaining about how their grandparents say you can't be racist and I won't visit you if you are, but like they're complaining about how society has changed somewhat. And it's like you, I guarantee you there were like similarly crass or similarly like, you know, normal things going on. There's like, wasn't there the whole Benny Hill TV show where it's just like Mm -hmm. a dude chasing women around and pulling their shirts off. And it's like, was that, was that a better, more enlightened time when that shit existed? Well, yeah, every every TV show in America in the 60s and 70s was like a horribly burnt orange, sweaty man in a suit with huge lapels uh, asking Dean Martin how many times he got his wife pregnant. 
And then a big band would play for seven hours. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I've watched episodes of MASH thinking I was going to find some sort of like trenchant observation of the Korean War. And instead, it's just like, hey, Toots, what's up? And like pinching the nurse's asses. And you're like, can you even show this yeah, on TV anymore? Like, Whoa, these guys are in war, but they're having sex. Pretty wild, <laughs> huh? Yeah, but oh, just going to mouth off to a seat. It's like Frasier, but in a war zone. All these guys. Boomers are like, you know, what's, you know, what's the most amazing thing. Every single one of those shows, like sitcoms and like movies, until really like I would say like the nineties maybe, is like the the male characters are just like like borderline doing date rape to female characters, just like <laughs> yeah. all the time. And boomers are still like, uh I hate our hypersexualized culture that my grandkids like. It's like meanwhile, let me it's tell like, you really? about porkies. <laughs> um I mean, shall we <laughs> I, I mean, I think that's that basically has has pointed out that yes, Love Island features dumb people, but also the people who are commenting that Love Island is a problem are also just a different kind of dumb guy. Yeah, no, it's we're going to the only true political and social observation. Both sides are bad, and <laughs> Vanderpump Rules is the best reality show I've ever seen. Yo, um, so turning. Turning hard from uh, culture into politics, which, as we all know, are uh, separate. Um, I, I wanted to uh, I wanted to talk about some like what what America thinks of of the UK because I feel like we're kind of like a crazy whipping post for you guys politically. No, apparently we're a Sharia zone now. Yeah, like it's it's like every well the whipping the whipping post is where you put people who don't <laughs> obey Sharia. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, obviously. I mean, we've all gone to mandatory Sharia class, like otherwise known as Stratford Shopping yeah, Centre. Un- universal public madrasa <laughs> is, is is necessary in the UK. Um, but no, it's it's because I've noticed that because the UK doesn't have guns or ice, um. It seems as though the U.S., like especially like Trump and other, you know, like reactionary psychopaths, really like to point out that like the U.K. is sort of a war a war zone of knife crime. Yes, but I mean the idea, like the, the knife crime is high by by standards, you know, of zero murders. But like in comparison to any average American day, it's so placid here that like it boggles the mind. And the only reason why British people freak out about it is because. Quite, quite frankly, the bandwidth of what's normal before British people start complaining is about as wide as a paperclip. Because otherwise, <laughs> like if it's too much in one direction outside of that paperclip, they are complaining about how bad it is. Even though, quite honestly, you walk down the street here and you're just like, oh, this is what America would be like if it wasn't fucking insane all the time. Yeah, the, um, the right wing of conception of the UK is really funny to me. Uh, because on one hand, they think like they're just begging Nigel Farage to come over and like do whatever it is he does. I'm not really sure. And like save America, but also that his nation is just like three quarters caliphate now. (laughs) And and, and, like their image of Britain is funny to me because it's like, I have, I have almost the opposite thing. I'm one of those guys who like becomes very patriotic only when any type of European talks down on my country. And like my thing with Britain is like, don't you you guys are like kind of more capricious as deportations than we we have been even even under the past uh, 12 years of ICE. Oh, yeah. We deport citizens. Yeah. They they, they literally just revoke people's citizenship kind of on a whim here. Yeah. It's like it's it's like every time you go to like get any kind of um, of of sort of 
of, of like public service or you check into a hospital or you go to school, uh, they just put a, like a Dulux color chart up next to you to decide if they're going to revoke your citizenship. Awesome. Totally awesome. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so, you know, that's not to say my country is very good. It's just I'm, I'm just one of those guys. If any European talks down on my place, I become a Trump guy. Are you, are you, but, <laughs> are you suggesting that we can say what we like about you? Yeah, don't say shit about my family. <laughs> no, actually, British people, Br- British people, I'll like sort of take it in stride. But if something about like Scandinavians, when they do it, I'm like, all right, listen up, you fucking piece of shit. <laughs> I almost got into like a, I haven't gotten into a physical fight in like four, four or five years, like since I worked at a job that like would sometimes require me to do those and like never started them. But I almost got into a fight a couple months ago because a Swedish guy was being such a smug prick at this bar. <laughs> he was just drunk and like talking shit about uh, like Trump and like mass shootings. And I was like, yeah, but like the world champion is a uh, this is a Scandinavian guy, right? <laughs> and he just got all pissed. And it's like, what are you going to do? Proclaim neutrality, bitch. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no. Um yeah, so that's my concept of it is that the UK is a more conservative country in some aspects. Yeah. And that this this is you know, that and that my concept of it from having insomnia and reading Twitter at like five AM Amer- uh, Eastern Coast time in America is that half your country is employed as centrist political columnists. Yep. <laughs> and it's given me a very strange view of it. But yeah, when I see like Bill Mitchell or someone uh, tweet about it. It's just like the UK must be the least safe place on earth. The murder rate is 95%. Um, roving gangs of Janissaries uh, <laughs> who were taken from white council flats and inducted by neo Ottoman Sharia zones are just going around doing knife attacks and nicking people's mobiles <laughs> in Sharia Tesco. And it's, it's funny because you, it's a significantly less violent place than like really most American cities, which are also less violent than they have been any other part almost in my entire lifetime. But, you know, you know how we talked about the American genus for dumb guy is the guy who postures and never does anything. Part of that is that you have to believe that the world is significantly more dangerous to you than it actually is. Well, that's one one thing about sort of that you point out about Britain is that um, it's like half the country is basically a, a knife criminal who is doing um, who is doing petty crime and, and murders for either um, small profit or Sharia? The other half is new centrist parties designed to stop Brexit. Like that's that's our entire population. But there's also a small population of people who are constantly being exploited by roving Asian gangs in sex crime rings. <laughs> that's a subset of the. But former. that is definitely that feature is extremely large in the conservative imagination. That like basically every everywhere in Britain is there's a city center where knife crime happens, and then everywhere else is Rotherham, and yeah. all white girls are being exploited. I'm, I'm very surprised about the Americans who like spend so much time like Wikipediaing these like obscure towns in Northern England. Like there was an American who like just acts at me every so often for like, I don't understand why, like just every so often when I'm like, when I tweet something out, it's like, well, what about, what about Scarborough? And I was like, well, what, what, what about what Scarborough? Like, about Scarborough? Well, I was like, you don't know what's happening in Scarborough. You know what your people are doing in Scarborough? And I was like, 
you know, and we're just like, like fixated with like these really small towns that like have just proliferated in this like weird right wing <laughs> space. So they like know more about like fucking Shropshire than like I do, despite <laughs> the fact that I've lived here like 24 years. <laughs> yeah, I saw, I've seen a lot of like American conservatives freak out about the Swedish town of Malmo because that's apparently like they have the. I don't know. They must have created like a legendary uh, minaret that can summon all the powers to just shoot Sharia yeah. at all the Swedish people. And they had to evacuate PewDiePie from there. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it no, it's a very weird thing where they I, they hyper focus on these individual towns, probably because like Breitbart or someone like aggregated a news story that's like, you know, this one imam who no one likes in this like little town way up north or whatever is like uh i think that there's only one gender and it's man and we should turn women into slaves <laughs> and they're like see see Theresa may likes this guy and it's like what <laughs> it's, and it's he's like, my dad it's actually. like if, it, it's like if you guys like your conservatives were shitting on us and they're like oh yeah what about your hip-hop gangbangers in milwaukee wisconsin I'd be like, what? What the fuck? Milwaukee? I would almost get protective. I'd be like, you're not allowed to know about that town. <laughs> well, the, the, and then the other bu- bugaboo that we represent to you guys is um, the NHS is just murdering everybody because, uh, see, we have death panels. Death panels came true in England. I mean, yeah. I, I can't forget that guy who was basically saying that uh, because the NHS was denying some unproven treatment and not allowing a, a family to take their dying child out of hospice to, uh, you know, experimental treatment in Italy. He's like, this is why we have guns in America in case I have to do 9-11 to hijack a plane <laughs> he's the guy, and fly my child he, to Italy. And I was like, what? He's the guy that refuses to, like, talk to other women in case he cheats on his wife. But I mean, I just yeah, feel like yeah, yeah, it's like if any woman at all talked to me, she would want to fuck me. It's like <laughs> if if my son, if an English doctor even looked at my son, I would pull off a transatlantic hijacking, which hasn't been done since like the PLO. <laughs> you know, no, the like- PLO was really a thing. So. But that that's that's like the ultimate. I mean, they're they're kind of they're kind of glad that happened because they're like, Ooh, if I was in England and they wouldn't let me take my son to the experimental treatment, you don't want to know what I would want to do. And it's like, what, like write more articles? <laughs> well, it's like, it's like, it's like, that's the only thing you've ever done. It's like I'm, I'm taking my son to go get put in that giant back to tank from Star Wars. To see if like the droids can, can give him yeah. a better brain. But, I mean, the thing that always blows my mind about this is that like, yes, there are some instances in which they put, you know, they, they say, okay, this treatment is, you know, hasn't been proven. We're not going to release someone for treatment. But it's like in America, you could do any treatment you want. You could give your child gold flakes. You'd be bankrupt and dead in about six weeks from the medical bills. But it's okay, though. You can do whatever the fuck you want. And it's like it just doesn't even figure into the conservative imagination that like there could be a place in which people don't go broke and have to get on get, GoFundMe when their children get sick. Man. And it's like, the, but this place is so much worse by comparison. I wish I lived yeah, in a well, country. Where I, I mean, freedom. Americans, this may be another American illness that we think we can we can like get around illness just by knowing the right stuff, us personally, like we don't need experts. I guess it's like, it's uh, our type of Protestantism where we rebelled so hard against the idea of like a hierarchical clergy that just any, any type of, at a certain point, any type of expert is annoying to us. Despite the fact that we love hierarchy when it's like cops and troops and blah, blah, blah. Mm. But uh, you know, Steve jobs, 
had all the money in the world. Yeah. He was one of the richest people alive. And he died because he did an experimental treatment, which was doing yoga and like drinking juice because he <laughs> thought it would cure his cancer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to hack cancer. Uh I don't. Yeah, I don't know really what this experimental treatment in Italy was, but I mean, I don't. I, I, I get. I. I guess if the NHS doctors are saying it was not going to work, I, I tend to trust them, yeah. uh, I, unless the conspiracy is also that like they wanted to kill this kid so they could like harvest his organs to give to a Muslim or something. <laughs> <laughs> A common practice in this country. So, I, gu- I, I guess. I guess the end result is it's too bad we don't live in a country where we have freedom. I'm going to go join a gang and new centrist party and then get killed. I mean, I have seen literally a top-rated response on Quora in which somebody asked the question, you know, it, which is better, America versus Britain? Which Quora is a great source of insane responses in a number of ways. But literally, there was an American who said, I've lived in both countries and America's better because freedom, because I have the freedom to do whatever I want. It's just sort of like, I have the freedom to pick my own doctor. It's like, yeah, and you pay for it. And if you don't get care, they let you die. And it's just like, but this notion that freedom, that this hypothetical situation in which you are free to do whatever is so important that people are, are literally willing to say like, I'm okay with living a shitty life just so I can have this hypothetical. Like it kind of boggles the mind. And I feel like people, even if they move to America as adults and like they spend a lot of time there, they don't understand how deeply ingrained it is. That, like people really do believe there's no such thing as anywhere better. And like everyone else in the world just fucking sucks and eats gruel all day long. And there literally is no other option besides America. You say what you want about me, but you talk shit about my gruel. <laughs> I was going to say, Canadian, it's called, it's called cool. <laughs> well, that, that's like, I mean, the American the American dream type thing. It's that's, I guess that's so baked into us because it's the ultimate hypothetical. It's like, yes, if I, um, if I somehow achieve very incredible upward mobility and I have the vast liquid resources that would allow me to do what I want. And I also sort of beat the health insurance system and I somehow get one of the few really good health insurance plans in America. I could do whatever I wanted. I could get any treatment I wanted, or if I had unlimited money, I could live anywhere I wanted. And yeah, most people are never going to do it, but just it, it, it's like uh, it's like the the pissed guy. The pissed guy is like never really that nice to anyone. He never allows himself to like smile or laugh that much because he's like that one day someone's going to mess with my friends or family, and <laughs> I'm going to unleash all this pissed on them, and it's never going to happen. But just the hypothetical that is so much more attractive than risking going for anything in your life. Well, it's good. I think that's it. Is that is that the British system, as imperfect as it is, it's just it's just people constantly going for it, <laughs> and people just constantly. Well, I mean, if, if you know for a fact that you're you know you're not going to have to spend your life savings getting your, your like a cut on your th- your finger fixed, then you can risk whipping it out in Nando's and diving into a concrete pool that's empty. That's why we have Love Island. Exactly. That's why we have legends. The NHS gave rise to legends. <laughs> if we have socialized medicine in America, then the pissed guy can actually finally throw that punch and get his ass kicked because he doesn't have to worry about getting his teeth fixed afterwards. Like that's what's holding him back. It's not his friends holding him back theatrically. It's the lack of health. Holy shit. We solved the special relationship. <laughs> I, if I could, if I could play devil's advocate though, I would say that Americans, because of their propensity to not really do anything that much, unless they completely freak out, we have, we, we, it goes against conventional wisdom. It's actually us 
who have richer internal lives than you guys. Because we spend so much time inside ourselves imagining what we would do. <laughs> Talk, talking about the things that we would do if only my friend hadn't stepped in and held me back because I was going to whoop his ass. Oh, totally. However. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I would say here's, here's my final take on our reality thing. I would say your high culture, probably better than ours. I think we have the best TV show ever. America made the best TV show ever, The Sopranos. But – I think on average, your great movies are better than our great movies, like in the contemporary sense. I think you guys probably did the best comedy TV series ever. Your higher culture is smarter than ours, I'd say, for the most part. But our lower culture is infinitely smarter than yours because it relies on the inner lives of the people in the low culture, whereas yours relies on their actions. Well, we, we, I think we really have figured out NATO. There, there it is. Yeah, there you is go. This, is this diplomacy with NATO the butterfly is American meme. sitting 6,000 miles away in Las Vegas with an Xbox controller, just flying an unmanned vehicle over a pile of dust and murking civilians and going, oh, if I was there, I would be able to do the same thing. <laughs> then, it's, then it's SAS guys being legends. <laughs> legends like David Davis. All right. Yeah. Um, we're going to take a short break, and then we are going to be right back with a couple of readings. And we'll see you in a moment. So welcome. Welcome back. Well, welcome back, everybody. Um, I figured in we, we, we would uh, we would get we get two two readings out of the way since we, we have someone on from the epicenter of reading bad journalism. Um, we, and we have, t- and because we have two, two of the, two of, I think the different kinds of good readings. Okay. Uh, we have one from a, what you might call a concerned trolling centrist and one from an unspeakably horny, uh, intellectual conservative. Not really narrow, like in the British, in British journalism, it's not really narrowing the field down much. No, there's like four journalists who aren't who aren't this. Yeah, and one of them is Owen Jones, and basically the entirety of the Guardian's traffic is just dads getting online to yell at him about the headline and nothing else. Um, so what do we what do we want to do first? Do we want to do the um, do Jonathan Friedland? I mean, he because I feel like he the concern trolling liberal centrist is something that Americans are definitely familiar with in some capacity. So I think that'll uh, that'll help. So, um, Jonathan, Jonathan Friedland, a famous Corbyn hater, uh, writes in The Guardian now that um, Labour has revealed its Brexit policy basically to be, we won't stay in the, in the EEA, but we are going to pursue a single market with Britain. We just aren't going to go into one where, you know, they can basically tell us to turn the poor into green energy and we have to do it. Um, so, Jonathan Friedland writes... Um, Call me naive, which I will be doing, uh, but I always thought that if the opposition have a rare and clear chance to defeat the government, they would take it. Now we learn that sometimes, even when presented with an open goal, the audience, the audience, the opposition would rather kick the ball into touch. Um, and he says this matters because single market membership, so staying in the EEA, is crucial to Britain's economic health after Brexit and is surely the only way to deliver jobs that Jeremy Corbyn has promised. Um, now, what I find very funny about this is that um, Brexit is this, is this sort of totemic issue, right? For a lot of milquetoast centrists. Yeah. 
where they think we should just pretend it never happened. Where, uh, where the Leave campaign is icky, and every time the opposition, every time Jeremy Corbyn doesn't get up and say, excuse me, Theresa May, but have you forgotten that Britain is a part of Europe? Uh, that they are somehow uh, failing to score political points and actually yeah. being as bad as the other side. And it's literally the only political issue that matters. Nothing else in anyone's life matters because austerity has not touched these people. The only thing that has touched them is the possibility that they might not be able to buy a home in Sweden when they retire or in, in, in Spain for that matter and you know be able to live there without a visa. That's the only thing that matters. Mm. So uh, uh, Felix, are you familiar with this, uh, with, with this phenomenon? Yeah, I've uh, I haven't followed the Brexit thing super closely, but my main so here's my main takeaway on it. Yeah, it's that leaving leaving it in the way that the hard Brexiters and the Tories wanted to leave to do it will retain austerity. Yeah, but, you know, introduce probably even more controls on immigration and just create a worst of both worlds situation. but it is necessary ultimately for the UK to leave the EU in order to get over IMF-esque spending and debt requirements that would make it nearly impossible to create a more equitable society. Uh, that said, a lot of the remainder, like I, I have a lot of sympathy for remain because it's just like the way this would be done would just fuck everyone. Uh, but it seems like a lot of the remainers, it's similar to a lot of uh, how American sort of third way liberals talk about immigration, where this is not this is not that this is people's lives. The people are immigrating. It's not that they have to come here because we have uh, destroyed their economies through either war or economic imperialism or colonialism or whatever we've done. Or, or, or that, you know, they just they, they want to live. These are human beings with rights, with inalienable personhood. It's that this is a personal program of cultural enrichment for these rich people. And it's a source of cheap labor. But they are disguising these two things as their personal interest in pluralism, which it's never been for them ever. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. And a lot of them, are, and like Jonathan Friedland, are desperate to stay in the EEA because it lets them feel a little bit French. It's like, oh, I'm not Euro- I'm not actually English. I'm European. European yeah. yeah. And 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 with just and so they're so they'll say like, in fact, the the actual quote from this article is 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 absolutely brilliant to the extent that these people just don't understand reality. So what explains Labour's decision? Friedland asks. Uh, Keir Starmer, the Brexit minister, uh, told of uh, the shadow Brexit minister, uh, told BBC's Today program that it was merely a pragmatic acceptance of reality. Labour MPs couldn't unite around staying in the EEA for obvious reasons, and so this alternative clause and internal market is one everyone on the Labour benches can live with. And that's uh, Friedland's main criticism, which is that it is a pragmatic acceptance of reality, and and not um, that. It is just saying cancel Brexit because I want to be a little bit Swedish. Well, it's like they don't seem to realize that there are people who live outside of London who represent constituencies that definitely voted to leave. And if they don't, at least to some extent, seem as though they want to adhere to that, there is, you know, like a Paul Nuttall acolyte, sort of like, you know, Boris Q racist who's going to run and take their seat from them. Like people can lose elections outside of safe seats. And it's like, 
there are people in Britain, regardless of whether or not you think that they're, you know, they shouldn't be listened to, who want to leave the European Union. Whether or not you think that's stupid. Weird fantasy of like, you know, you can just like ignore those types of people, right? It's very kind of like London centric. It's like very London centric, but like, you know, metropolitan type of thinking, which is one, you know, which is like pretty familiar. It's one which kind of goes, no one really knew what they were doing on that day. You know, the air was a bit hazy. Who knows what the League of Shadows put into the water supply? <laughs> um, and people just, you know, it just happened. It was accidental. But we can just, we can just forget about it, right? It's like it is, you know. It goes back to what we were saying, which is like, don't you might call me naive? Well, yeah, you are being fucking naive. Um, you know, it's just like it, I don't know how long that piece is, but it's just more like fucking Tumblr fanfic, like Romaniac fanfiction. Well, I still love, I mean, we obviously were, were grateful to have uh, Carl Sharrow on the show, but I really love his, his comment on that. Basically that the moment that one of these elections goes the wrong way for a certain breed of centrist liberal, they're like, cancel fucking democracy now. End it. Stop it. I don't <laughs> like it. I don't like these people. I want to go to Spain. Stop it. And it's like, <laughs> they don't realize that in a way, this one note sort of like harping on we must reverse Brexit is actually actually turning people who are politically marginal into pro-leave fans. Yeah. Because they're just like, fuck these people. I want to see them sad, which is at its heart, like the core of American politics. But now you see it in Britain as well. <laughs> right. I mean, well, you guys have been, I feel like for since 9-11, actually, you guys have been inching towards becoming more like us politically. Like, I always felt like you guys have that parliamentary system, which for all its failings is so much better than the presidential system but your pm has become more like a president uh your elections have become more like ours and your politics have become more like ours meaning that they are resentment based and the thing i see with these hard remainers is that they are just even when i I catch about maybe 30 45 minutes of them a day right when i'm about to go to sleep in between the (laughs) time that i'm done playing video games with my friends or I'm done at the gym and the time that I watch DJ academics on YouTube, I read some British politics stuff. And my takeaway on them is like, these people are such fucking entitled little baby bitches who are so (laughs) full of shit and have such a delusion about what kind of people they are. You want them to lose so bad. It's just a shame that who they lose to is Nigel Farage, which is talk about you guys becoming identical to, to us. (laughs) because <laughs> that is our democrats you know you just hate you hate him so much oh oh the guy that they're gonna lose to is you know fucking uh it, it's roy moore so here we are oh yeah but i think the one of the and i think one of the keys with that is that these people the 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 remainers the hardcore remainers are so resentment based that they like Corbyn's plan for like national for renationalizing certain key elements of the economy, which is going to be a very big dick move, is like is not possible in the in the EEA. It's not possible within the European Union. Like it's one of the silver linings of leaving. And so going back into an internal market rather than the internal market, which is basically just remaining via the back door, is not going to work to actually make this country more or less better for most people in it. Right. Like. And so all of these people who are like, actually, the, the left position and they're saying is to go with Gordon Brown, who's like, what we're going to do Famous is more hard leftist Gordon Brown. Yeah, And he says, yeah. what we're going to do is we're going to stay in the EEA, but we're going to make it harder for European migrants to get jobs. That's what we're going to do. That's how we're going to solve this. We're also going to carve some dictums on stone. We heard that worked in the past and we want to do it again. 
I just yeah. What what I think is so amazing about all this, and it's we have a similar thing. You know, Howard Schultz, our our guy who helped invent Starbucks, wants to run for president as a Democrat uh, on basically an austerity program. And the argument I always hear from you know the American third wayist Bloombergists, and then the the people who just uh, think the EU is perfect is this is. Amer- either modern America or the EU is just this unprecedented, beautiful political project. And the force we have to fight against the forces that want to take it down, which are the hard, not well, you know, the hard left of electoralism and then the hard nationalist right, these twin evils. And what's there, they just, they can't even. You you do see a little bit of political – you do see a little political degeneration because at least you know, 50 years ago, 60, 70 years ago, the people who were like Howard Schultz or whatever or like these hard remainers, they understood that we had to they, – they understood that to keep their proletariat away from communism, the only thing they could do is give them social democracy. But now they are so far gone and so stratified that their solution – to keep people from going to the the consequences of austerity and all this, which a lot of the times is the hard nationalist right, is more austerity. It's absolutely insane. You know, I guess to a heroin addict, everything looks like a needle. But it, it, it's, you know, these are the people who speak in practicalisms. The EU is the most amazing political project of all time. It is sustained peace for blah, 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 blah. It's falling apart because of, in part, hard nationalism. Um, all right. How about some more austerity? That's going to solve that. When have we ever in Europe seen austerity lead to nationalism? Because <laughs> well, that's the thing. It, you say it's, that's the, just the thing. Like, in their imagination, it's caused there to be this wonderful, unprecedented era of peace. But what's Germany currently doing to Greece? It's basically like... It's you know, an act it's of war. Yeah, it's an, it's an act of economic warfare sans guns. You know, they're basically just starving everybody there, but saying, no, no, it's practical. Besides, you're losing weight. It's, a, it's, 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 it's beneficial to everybody, right? Like, so the fact that they think that this is just going to sort of naturally work itself out because there is no alternative and this is just the end of history that we're at now and how dare you go beyond the end of history um, because it's just, it, this is just our destiny. And it's like there's this sense that like Corbyn in trying to imagine a better world outside the EU is just getting destiny wrong. And how dare he? I mean, I feel like the last uh, around 2016, there was a lot of end of history talk. And I remember that in the late 90s when I was like I was like nine, ten years old. Every after we have like a global sort of like center liberal consensus consensus for long enough, the discourse becomes we now can solve existential problems you know like we've solved europe whatever that means we've solved it no more wars there we have the eu in america it was like well we balanced the budget now we can achieve immortality that's the next thing we go after and i think there is this rush to declare the end of history on the part of sort of like slightly left of center global liberalism so you can ju- you can just go, oh, we're on to the next thing. We're on to our next great problem of existence that we're going to solve now. That is what the conversation is centered around because it 
you think it can prevent people from looking at the realities of their own lives. But always when that has happened, always when we've gotten to that moment where enough people declare the end of history, something happens, right? And the last time it happened, when I was a, a child, it was 9-11, and it made us turn inexorably rightward and made us truly fucking insane as a country in a way that we've never really recovered from. We've drawn back from a lot of it, but we've never really recovered from the insanity that we went through and the extreme hard right turn we went through uh, that was also many years in the making before that. And now it's Trump and Brexit. And right as we were talking about the end of history, well, here we go, the unforeseen circumstance. And we won't be talking about all that for a little while. We're done with end of history talk, but we're going insane in a new way. And the conservatives just become more of what they are and the liberals enter this sort of weird mind space that I don't know how it's going to turn out. I feel like a lot of the liberal conversation I've seen in the last two years since Brexit and Trump has been they almost want like a government enforced normalcy, which is, you know, <laughs> God, we'll see what we get. Yeah, we'll see what we get. universal basic regular days. We need to yeah. live in Singapore, every single one of us. Well, that's the, I think that's that's a very sort of sobering and and depressing and yeah, slightly slightly depressing thought, but I think the important thing to remember is that I think there is a solution in kind of more collective left politics. So long as we like grasp toward it and implement it however we can, we can like we can, you know, make sure that someone as dumb as Jonathan Friedland never like touches the levers of power. I don't know, Riley. At, at the end of uh, at the end of March of next year, no one will ever smile again on the British Isles. It just won't fucking happen. Um, well, Fun Sharia is dead. Police. Sharia police, I, man. I think to 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 I think if that's the end of history, um, I think to bring us to the end of the of the episode, I want to do one more quick reading, just because again, I think this is just the perfect British version of a, an, an American type of person, which is. I have a reading from The Spectator, uh, which is Ameri Britain's version of the National Review, more or less. But what if the National Review is also a newspaper that a lot of people read? Um, entitled, Peter Stringfellow, 1940 to 2018, The Intellectual Conservative. He looks like, he looks like a guy who like, came fifth on Love Island back you know, years ago. Like in the 80s. Uh, <laughs> now, the British and no one really knows what happened to him. Then he like joined the boy band for a little bit. Now, the British listeners are already laughing because they know who Peter Stringfellow is. Peter Stringfellow, the intellectual conservative being written about by another intellectual conservative, uh, is the owner of a chain of strip clubs uh, throughout London. Um, so it, it, the, art, the article by Harry Mount, a guy who is like looks like a thumb and edits a magazine called Oldies, but is only 47 years old. Um, he writes, when you think about Peter Stringfellow, a.k.a. Stringy, it's hard to think about anything other than topless women. <laughs> Very normal British kind of political discussion. <laughs> I often associate my friends with naked females, too. That's a normal thing that British people well, So do. I'm not actually from here, so I have to ask. There was a time when you could get your angry right-wing news and topless chicks in the same newspaper, right? Like, that was a thing. Yeah, that's only, still can. That only still recently can. stopped. That only recently stopped. Like, so the idea that, like, 
you know, topless women, right wing politics, big, big headlines. Like that's been a thing for long enough that this isn't weird. Whereas to an American, it's like, this feels like you're, you're mixing ingredients that aren't supposed to be mixed. So what Harry Mount is relate, Harry Mount's doing two things in his article. He's relating two halves. He's talking about the uh, Stringy's birthday. So when he interviewed Stringy for The Spectator shortly after his 60th birthday, he sat on a gold throne in his Covent Garden nightclub and consumed a three course champagne supper flanked by the prettiest tabloid journalist invited to the occasion. 100 angels worked 40 tables, stringing themselves around steel poles for gyrating over the laps of businessmen in various states of inebriation. For any Puritan, it was a scene of wild, orgiastic horror. So basically, this is rich people Rotherham, is what you're saying. <laughs> um, and, and so I, I love this. Uh, Harry Mount continues, At midnight, the women gathered for the parade of angels to a backing track of fanfare for the common man in Mendelssohn's wedding march, 50 angels sashayed down the middle of the room, followed by the nine angels of the month for the year so far, succeeded by the angel of the year, <laughs> a six-foot Amazon who leapt to the top of the pole before gently sliding down it. Then the topless dances began once more. So this is an obituary for a conservative thinker. But it sounds like the kind of thing that a guy who grew up with silent films would jack off to. So I'm just sort of confused in a sense because like, you know, I, I feel like I've got a pretty good grasp on Britain more than, than your average American, but I don't know what the fuck this is. <laughs> well, this, this seems like, um, you know, I think one of the funniest scenes ever in cinema history like the one of the most cutting scenes is the scene in 40 year old virgin where Steve Carell tries jacking off to like porn with penetration in it. But then he can it freaks him out too much. So he has to jack off to like a woman in a Star Trek costume showing her tits. <laughs> and it's because it reminds you of like being like 11 and you're afraid of like there's something about if you're watching porn on the Internet for the first time, there's something about like sex that terrifies you. But you're still you're now able to like jack off and be horny. And so you just you using your 11 year old concept of sexuality, you imagine something stupid and you jack off to like, like you're like, oh, the coolest thing ever would be if I was in a race car that had a PlayStation in it and there was a girl in a bra there or something. <laughs> and that's like that's these guys. But they're like 78 years old. Yo, that's just pimp my ride. Yeah. Um, yeah. So here's here's where the turn begins of just because the thing I abridged that a great deal. There's paragraph after paragraph of the intellectual conservative National Review equivalent writer and editor of a magazine called The Oldies just describing a, a strip club in just very precise detail. Here's the turn. Not everyone's cup of tea, particularly in these Me Too times. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. But if you can put aside the sleaze, it was a brilliant run. <laughs> it was a brilliantly run organization. And Stringfellow, when I interviewed him a few days later, was an extremely astute businessman. He was also a keen Tory. Of course. I, I, I like also that he, uh, he was involved in Ted Heath's administration. Ted Heath, the only UK prime minister who, and I'm being careful of libel laws here, might very well have paid for sex with underage he, prostitutes. Oh, he's dead. You can't yeah. libel the dead. Oh, you can't libel the dead. Oh, really? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Dude, Ted, Ted Heath literally go. had to... Ted, Ted Heath had to be Ted Heath had to be pulled Scumbang. aside pulled aside by members of the Tory party. Look, he got the stiffia. 
<laughs> Yo, someone tell someone tell Takeshi six nine. He can say whatever he wants, do whatever diss track he wants about dead people, so long as he gets his GED. I mean, this is a prime minister of the UK who was literally pulled aside by members of his own party and said, "Stop fucking other dudes in public restrooms. Someone might find out." Like literally, that's the guy. And it's like, oh yes, but let's uh let's eulogize members of administration. So, you know, uh, Peter Stringfellow continues. I've always been a Tory, even though all the steel workers in Sheffield were labor to a man, my dad included. But what I didn't like was the way the Labour Party never encouraged you to better yourself. Now even my dad has come round to my way of thinking. He's seen how well I've done as a businessman. He never owned a house until the 70s when I bought him one. And now he's as right wing as they come. Spits blood at the mention of the Labour Party. Your dad is splitting blood. What the fuck is wrong with him? Like... They fixed <laughs> consumption a long time ago, man. <laughs> because of the NHS. Well, yeah, exactly. And Sharia law. Oh, man. It's so it's just it's 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 so great. Um, I always say that more private health and private education are the way forward. Both my children and my grandchildren are privately educated. By all means, have a system for those who can't afford it. But for those who can, they should pay for themselves. It's a lot of like a lot of loops <laughs> to get to this. Well, you start, you start with boobs and then you uh-huh. talk about, you know, strip clubs and champagne and bacchanals and then you get to means testing is good. <laughs> the strip clubs gave me a boner, but when you want to know what really makes me nut, it's this. It's the idea that like I could make someone have to pay a bill when they go to an A&E. And that is what I want. That is, is what gets me off. This my is kink. one of the most insane things I've ever heard. Like this is... <laughs> People like people who listen to my show like get on me for tangents, but I always try to loop it around to back what I was talking about. But there's just no effort here. There's just it's just whatever first. It's like one of those uh, viral quote tweets where they're like, finish this tweet. Start out with I ate a hamburger, then use autocomplete and finish a <laughs> sentence. It's just like he's but he did that with paragraphs. He's like. All right, so I got uh, strippers. All right. You know, I remember back when you used to be able to look at a titty. All my friends were there. The guy who owns the Tesco, uh, the Fifth Prince of Monaco. And you were just all over there, all types. Oh, my God. It was so hot. You could do now with me, too, but it was great. And then by paragraph four, it's like he bought his dad a house so he would become racist. I <laughs> Like, at least with, like, American, American, I feel like, in general, Brits are far more direct than Americans. Uh, But our intellectual conservatives will, like, it'll be like Brett Stevens. He'll be like, this reminds me of the parable of Sisyphus. And then by paragraph three, you're like, oh, he's saying that it's black people's fault that they get shot by police. Okay, I get it. Here's the thing. It's like, I would have to comb through this seven times to figure out what the fuck this guy is talking about. Well, here's the, here's the beautiful thing. You say this, this here's, here's Brett Stevens moment. And I don't know, like you might want to just all brace yourselves for this. Um, Harry Mount concludes the article. Stringy also, Peter Stringfellow also declared himself a tremendous fan of the works of John Locke. <laughs> there, there we go. There we go. Always His nightclub operation around. may have been a bit sleazy. His hair and clothes a little naff, but Stringy was at heart an intellectual conservative. It's like, oh, but all you've talked about oh. is... Is, 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 is lady parts jiggling and if you buy a house then you'll hate poor people that's the thing that's the thing though he is an intellectual conservative that's what it is it's, it's he literally it's that's the only part of the article that makes any sense this guy is an intellectual conservative he quotes books that like people read in their undergrad degrees and then he's just like 
leering over, you know, a, a nipple tassel, uh, as, but professionally. Does he do it at the same time? And he believes that property ownership is connected to racism, which is connected to like denying people healthcare, which is basically the root of a healthy society. That, and also a loose enough sexual mores for some people that, you know, you can walk around in a sparkly thong. Back in those days, the broads didn't get all uppity about it, you know, that <laughs> Me Too shit. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Christ. Yeah, so that's what I, that's what I real that's what I, that's kind of almost how I want to. I want like just next next time like you guys read some like you know National Review vampire talking about how like um, actually uh, if only Elon Musk would be more respectable we could build Bear in a mech suit you know like next time you read one of those guys just remember what we have over here. Yeah, no, you guys have so many, so so many more columnists like just your columnists are like our standing army <laughs> it's just like you could you could make a new dad's army just out of columnists and all of them are completely out of their fucking minds <laughs> i mean my only my the one thing that we have to remember is that all of these people went to oxford and cambridge and i think maybe if more of them went to love island our society might be healed. If I'll be like the next series of Love Island, they'll just be columnists. And you can imagine like, you can imagine like <laughs> Helen, Helen Lewis and, uh, that, and, and what's his name? The guy Tim who got, Montgomery. No, no. The other one who got laughed at because he wore a bow tie, Tim Stanley. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. What he said that the construction workers laughed at him for wearing a bow tie. <laughs> or, or the guy who had to eat his book, Matthew Goodwin. Oh shit. Yeah. They're, yeah. Like, all, they're all like in a hot tub. No, that guy's just living in his own personal version of fear factor. <laughs> they're all in a hot tub. Then like Helen and Tim will like, you know, start getting off and like the guy who ate the book will just kind of be like sitting there and we'll just be wondering like, what what is wondering what the hell happened <laughs> before he was on a roll he was trying to explain the data behind you know why race science is good <laughs> is this reminding him of like back in his uni days oh my god okay that's it that's where we're starting race science columnist island that's how we're gonna <laughs> fix this divided country <laughs> uh all right i think we've uh that's that about wraps it up uh for us here today in the caliphate of tower hamlets Another successful day evading the Sharia police. <laughs> Yo, Yo, we uh, did it. We did it. Fuck 12. Uh, Felix, <laughs> thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for making pleasure, time for guys. this. This is very yeah, fun. Appreciate it. And um, commodify your descent with a t-shirt from Lil Comrade. Uh, and thank you again to Ginseng for the use of our theme song, Here We Go. You can find it on Spotify. I found it on a Simpsons wave list like a year ago. It's really like, good. It's on so many wave lists. <laughs> he's like really, you know, he's like really famous in like the whole like synth vapor wave yeah. chill beat scene. Yeah. Yeah. I know that. And, and somehow actually we, have, we have permission to use his song. Uh, well, that's a mystery for another day. Good night, everybody. Good night.